0: Well, I'm a big Houston sports fan. You know, the last couple of weeks uh, it's been disheartening uh, just watching our Houston Texans uh, management uh, and some of the key players uh, at odds against one another. The team uh, is not all on the same page. It seems like the management has one idea as to what the culture is and supposed to be, but yet the player has a very different perspective of what it ought to be. There seems to be a lack of leadership and a lack of care for the players. And as a result, there was just a lot of frustration from everybody. And this is really a description of what is not a flourishing team. Well, the fans are craving for both the management as well as the players to work together on a common goal. See, the leaders and the members of the church at Thessalonica do have a common goal. So they desire to bring the gospel to the lost and to help them to grow in Christ. We uh, see that we have bear witness Of the church turning the city upside down, they have become a flourishing church. These young people were fired up for God. And we saw in chapter one of First Thessalonians that it says that the Thessalonians were uh, became imitators of Paul and his companion. The new believers just followed after. Their example. There were two major descriptions about Paul that's given in our scripture reading today in First Thessalonians chapter two, one to twelve, that contribute to the church of Thessalonica as being a flourishing church. And I'm sure. Well, what are those two qualities? Well, the first thing is that Paul is a bold proclaimer of the gospel. See, Paul was not only interested in converts, but that he was also interested in helping these new believers to grow in Christ, that they would become disciples of Christ. And and that leads us to that second description about Paul, that Paul was a loving parent. He was portrayed as a caring mother and a concerned father that helped these new converts to grow in christ now if you want to see our church to be a flourishing church we need to learn from paul to be a bold proclaimer and a loving parent now before we dig into this passage let me just give you some background about this text See, there were just a lot of opposition to Paul. His opponents tried to destroy him first by bringing persecution upon him. But when that didn't work, they tried to undermine people's trust in Paul's message and his character. And as, as a result, we see that Paul defends himself by asking the recipients of the letter to recall what Paul has done and who he really is. So let us take a look at that first description. That Paul, as a bold proclaimer of the gospel. Well, let us turn to first Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse one. Let's take a look at the first two verses. For you yourself know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. We see that the Apostle Paul, during the second missionary journey, was called to share the gospel to the Gentiles. He started out his ministry at Philippi where he was faced with great opposition. He was falsely accused, stripped, brutally beaten, flawed, and then thrown into jail. Well, that didn't stop him from sharing the gospel to the jailer. And we saw later on that the jailer trusted Christ as his personal savior. Later on, Uh, we see that Paul was permitted to leave uh, Philippi. He then proceeded to Thessalonica. Well, with so much persecution that he received there at Philippi, you would think that Paul would think twice, whether, you know, how he is going to preach the gospel or not, or maybe he should just kind of lighten things up a little bit when he goes to the next city. However, when Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he went directly to the synagogue and started preaching boldly the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one and only one that can save us. Well, the Jewish people were jealous and, and that, 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 that many people were following after Paul and his teaching of Jesus Christ. And as a result, they formed a mob and they started a riot. It became so severe that Paul had to leave the city. From this initial uh, appearance, it seems like Paul's effect there in Thessalonica was a failure. But really, in reality, the seeds that he has sown there in Thessalonica, started to flourish. These young believers' lives were transformed. Although they did not know a whole lot because Paul was only there for three Sabbaths or three weeks. We see that they obeyed all that was taught to them. They shared the gospel, the good news, wherever they went. The Spirit of God was moving so strongly in them that the gospel spread from Thessalonica there to the rest of the province or or their so-called state. And not only did it it, it stop there, they went into the next province, which is Achaia. The Thessalonians uh, imitated Paul by sharing the gospel Holy, The scripture said that their faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that Paul need not say anything. That is amazing. So Paul, you know, arrived in the areas where we've been already told about the gospel. The Thessalonians told us about it. Well, that was just, just amazing. Well, two weeks ago, a friend informed Elianite that there were some vaccines that were available at a particular location for those that are 65 and above what well, we called quickly and we we were able to get an appointment and get a confirmation we were very excited about it Ellie didn't started Uh, calling all the people that she knew that were 65 and over and to let them know about this good news as to where they can find the vaccine. Matter of fact, she went ahead and and helped uh, set up appointments for several of our friends. She wanted to make sure the good news get out as soon as possible. But yet actually, the best good news belongs to us we have that that is the gospel and may we be even more excited to proclaim the good news boldly wherever we go we see in verse 1 it says our coming to you was not in vain it is not a failure Paul is refreshing their memory by saying, for yourself know, in verse 1. And also we see in verse 2, it says, as you know. Basically, they were witnesses of what was going on. It was not in vain. We see that although there were great persecutions in Philippi, Paul shared that same gospel that Jesus is the Christ boldly at Thessalonica. Although they might not be very popular with men, he stayed faithful to God with the gospel. Well, before I move on, I'd like to give you more context as to what was happening at that time. See, during Paul's time, there were many false teachers. It was easy for Paul's enemy to kind of lump Paul with all those false traveling uh, 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 teachers. That that, that, that was ministering based upon getting personal gain, getting power, wealth, and prestige. The many critics at that time were undermining Paul's credibility he was accused of manipulating the message on, for his own personal gain. Paul, in the next few verses, defends himself and clarifies his message. He also clarifies his motive as well as his method. Let us take a look in verses three through five as we see Paul preaches confidently with a pure gospel. In verse 5, it says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for we'll greed. God is witness. See right from the beginning in verse three, Paul makes it clear that his message is pure it is not it, it's not sprung sprung from error or originated from impurity. Now this word impurity is really important here. It refers to sexual uncleanness. See, back in those days, many Greek cults practiced sexual perversion. They would have sex with temple prostitute or the cult's leader. See, the temple orgies were very common back in those days. And the participant really believed uh, that when they have sex with the male leader of the cult or the female prostitute who, who's supposed to be closer to God, that they themselves would connect with their gods. Well, there is a, 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 a mystical union that would take place that they could have with their gods. Well, Paul's critics are to accusing Paul of the same kind of impurity and and paul denies such ridiculous accusation and paul claims that his message is true and we see in verse 4 that uh, he goes on to explain his motive is also pure now in verse 4 it says but just as we have approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Not only is the message pure, but we're going to see here that the, his, his motive is also pure. See, Paul and his companions are approved by God, they were tested. And were validated. God has called Paul to be an apostle back in Acts 9. And has entrusted him with the gospel. And he, he is preaching the gospel not to please men, but to please God. There was a young man that joined a mission trip. And the only reason that he went on this trip was so that he can appear to be spiritual to other people that were around him. Well, uh, he might be able to fool and deceive some of those individuals that were around him. But we know for certain that we cannot fool God because he tests Our hearts, He knows what's going on inside of us. See, God is our witness, and we are accountable to Him. We see that Paul preaches confidently with the pure gospel. We've seen the message is pure, and we've seen the motive is pure. Now, I'd like to take a look at his method. His method is also pure. I'm going to take a look at the latter part of verse 3 and also the beginning of verse 5. And it says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We see again, Paul denies any attempt to deceive the Thessalonians. This word deceive gives us the idea of a bake that is on a hook. In other words, Paul did not manipulate things to trap the people. He did not use so called the bacon switch method. He never used flattery. See, flattery is just another form of lying. It gives positive impression to the individuals. But there is ulterior purpose for personal gain. And, and usually the underlying motivation deals with greed. Unfortunately, back in the Paul's days, uh, we see various people using religion as a means to making money. But Paul did not Request any funds. In a matter of fact, we see later on that Paul toiled day and night so that he will not be a burden to the Thessalonians. Paul only preached the gospel and did not manipulate or trick the people. Paul preached confidently with a pure gospel because. The message is pure, his motive is pure, and his method is pure. He goes on to claim that he lives a holy and pure life. He is a man of integrity. He has a reputation of being a godly man. He can be trusted in the midst of a lot of false accusations. Paul has called upon the Thessalonians to remember, to bear witness, to recall what they know about him because they are eyewitnesses to what Paul is saying. In verse 1, it says, For you yourself know. And in verse 2, As you know. And in verse 9, For you remember. In verse 10, You are witnesses, in verse 11, for you know. So, five times in this short passage, we see Paul's calling the Thessalonians to testify for him. See, the words are not a bunch of hot air, but Paul has backed up what he say with what he does. Indeed, Paul walked his talk. He lived a holy and pure life. Paul also calls upon God to be his witness. and We see this recorded in verse 5 as well as in verse 10. See, God is fair and he is just because he tests one's heart. He knows what's going on inside of us. One can fool man, but no one can fool God. In verse 4, it says that he has, or Paul has been approved by God. He has been tested and verified that he is genuine in what he is presenting. Instead of being greedy for money, Paul has forgo his right to request for money. We see this in verse 6. It says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether f- from you or from other." So, we, had made de- so we, uh, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And we'll take a look in verse 9. For you remember, brother, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, Paul urges the Thessalonians to recall his work ethic, that that he's worked day and night twirling. He had no intention of of tricking the Thessalonians for money. Paul chooses to walk so that he will not be a burden to the Thessalonians. Paul's urging the Thessalonians to check out his character, as we see in verse 10. And it reads, You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our Conduct toward you believers. See, Paul had a consistent life, whether he was in the workplace or in the temple or at home. There are several characteristics that stood out about Paul. Paul was holy, he was righteous, and he was blameless. Now, the word holy means set apart. Paul is committed to following the teaching of Christ, which are different from the cultural norm. Now, in spite of persecution he received at Philippi as well as in Thessalonica, he did not deviate from God's command. He did not compromise his convictions like the false teachers. He's also described as being righteous. His behavior measure up to God's standard. He is blameless, which means that his character can stand up to any scrutiny. People cannot point a finger at him and, and, and identify things that he has done wrong. See, Paul walks his talk, his conduct, Coincides with his convictions. He is genuine. He is transparent. And that is the reason why the Thessalonian chooses to imitate Paul and his companion who lived a holy and pure life. See, the Thessalonians can testify that Paul is preaching a pure gospel, and that Paul is living a pure life. See, All the critics had to say is false and had no merits whatsoever. And may we follow the example of Paul by preaching a pure gospel and living a pure life so that those that we have influence over will choose to follow us because we follow Christ. Now, the question before us is, are we good role model worth emulating? As I stated in the beginning of the message, I said there are two major description of Paul given in this passage that contribute to the church of Thessalonica as being a flourishing church. And we said earlier that, first of all, first description, that Paul was a bold proclaimer of the gospel. And the second is that Paul was a loving parent. He was portrayed as a caring mother and a concerned father. Well, let us take a closer look in this second part of the sermon. Let us take a look in verse 7. It says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Note that in the very beginning of verse 7, it starts with the conjunction, But which speaks of a contrast. So here Paul's contrasting what, 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 what the critics were trying to accuse Paul of manipulating the situation for personal gain. He refused that notion and explained how he has treated the new believer at Thessalonica. He described himself as a nursing mother taking care of her own children, one of the most uh, challenging role in the world, I believe, is being a new mother. The baby uh, is uh, totally dependent upon the parents, and particularly uh, toward the mother. See, the newborn is very fragile, and needs care for need to be cared for with. Gentleness. I could still recall the first time I held my firstborn Grace. I was instructed um, to make sure I support the head and put my hand uh, behind her neck and be very gentle as I hold on to her. she um, had a lot of needs throughout the day. A mother's uh, needs to be on duty. 24-7. When she's up uh, in the middle of the night at 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, a nursing mom is there to attend to her baby. It requires a lot of sacrifice. Need needs to be available. There needs to be compassion and love. Now, the word here for children refers to Immature children. Children go through growing pains and encounters problems as they mature, as they grow. Mothers needs to be patient with them. Now similarly, new believers go through growing pains as well. And we, uh, we as God's under-shepherd are to be patient make sacrifice for them. It takes a lot of time and energy to care for children. The nursing mom also feeds the baby. It is imperative that the mother get good nutrition so that she can provide food for the newborn. She needs to be in God's Word so that she can feed her child spiritually. Now, I I know of a uh, middle school, Sunday school teacher that not only teach on Sunday, but uh, he would call his students every week to see how they are doing. He would build relationship with them and demonstrate genuine care for them. And he prays for them regularly. He not only did this for one week or two weeks, but he did that for the next eight years, even when when some of his students have gone to college. Now, that is genuine care and a commitment for the long haul. God has entrusted people into our lives, And may we make ourselves available to care for them and to teach them. Do we just see them as an obligation? Or do we see that as a privilege to care for them and to help them to grow in Christ? A principle that uh, someone taught me many years ago goes like this. He says, People do not care what you know until they know that you care. And how can we care for those that God has entrusted to us? We care by communicating uh, with them regularly. We also need to find out what might be some of their needs. And then we make ourselves available to support them, to assist them. Listening to them is really critical. Showing empathy is also vital. That's like being a caring mother. Not only does Paul show gentle care for the new converts like a nursing mother, but he also shows affection toward them. And we see this recorded in verse 8. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own self because you have become very dear to us. Paul is saying that it's not enough to share the gospel with them, but also to share his life with them. This is, this is investing one's life to help others to grow in the Lord. This is basically discipleship. That's what it's all about. This is why this uh, verse is one of my favorite verses. Scripture tells us that we are called to be disciples of Christ and to make disciples of Christ. We start by showing affection for them. Paul's love for the Thessalonians was so great that he was always thinking about them. He's always praying for them. See, a mother is always thinking about um, her child and wondering if he or she might be safe or if... He or she might have enough to eat. Or if he or she need to be clothed and to be more warmed uh, or, or 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 that he needs to be cared for. A child is an extension of the mother. And the mother can feel what the child might be feeling. And uh, when there is a knee, the mother drops what she might be doing so that she can attend to the knee of the child. Now, God has entrusted people into our lives. How are we showing our gentle care for them? How are we showing affection for them? May we take advantage of these blessed opportunity. Now, not only is Paul betrayed as a caring mother, but we see in the next couple of verses that he was portrayed as a concerned father. Let us take a look at how a concerned father uses his words as is recorded in verses 11, and, and 12. It says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exalted each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who call you into his own kingdom and glory. There are three key words here in, 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 in this uh, couple of verses that describe how Paul communicated with his children. The first word is that he exalted them, you know, uh, w- which means coming alongside to speak to an individual. It, 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 it gives the idea of motivating someone, cheering the other person on, inspiring them to do what they're supposed to be doing. You know, children crave for exhortation from their fathers. Instead of scolding the children, we need to be the greatest cheerleaders. Now, the second word is encourage. Gives understanding of comfort. See, it's easy to be discouraged, and one of the father's role is to encourage young believers to see things from a positive light. It involves empathy, where one understands how the other person might be feeling, and be willing to stand by the person and to support the person. Tell him that you believe in him and that he can do it and that you are proud of him. They need to be infused with courage to do what is right. The third word is charge, which means uh, witness. See, a witness seen life and therefore is qualified to instruct and warn and to correct when a father witnesses his child going down the wrong path he must respond quickly by giving instructions or warning or correction because one of the highest expression of love is correct someone for his own good and we see in verse 12 that Paul explains his ultimate goal or his purpose for exalting and encouraging and charging the believers is so that they will walk in a manner worthy of God. They are to represent God well. We must keep the end in mind. What's the ultimate goal? As we influence those that God has entrusted to us. We want to be a bold proclaimer of the gospel by preaching the pure gospel and living a pure life. Take every opportunity to share the gospel, the good news with our family members, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our classmates. We are to share not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because they have become very dear to us. We are to be loving parents to help these new believers to be disciples of Christ. They are to walk in a manner worthy of God. And as we pursue to follow the examples of the Apostle Paul, we will contribute to establishing a flourishing church. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, um, uh, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, Lord. Um, We saw that uh, he had a major impact in the Thessalonians, although they... Have been together for only for a short period of time. We see the 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 Thessalonians um, uh, were, were 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 on fire for you, Lord, and they were just following the footsteps of uh, Paul and uh, his companion, Lord. And Lord, uh, as as we have learned today, uh, to be uh, a proclaimer, to 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 be bold in in proclaiming the gospel, as well as to be a loving parent. Lord, teach us. Lord, uh, it is, uh, is your desire for us to help people to come to Christ. But we should not stop there. But we are to disciple them and to help them to grow, to be a devoted follower of you. And as we do this consistently, we will see our church flourish like the church at Thessalonica. Lord, uh, may we accept this challenge And to be obedient to you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.